If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, you're listening to Healthcare for Humans, the podcast dedicated to educating you on the aspects of humanity that make you a better healer for culturally diverse communities. These are the things patients expect us to know, but we don't know yet. Let's learn together. I'm Dr. Raj Sundar, a full-spectrum family physician and a community organizer. Welcome to season one, where we talk about the history and culture of immigrant communities. This is part two of the series on the Khmer community. And if you're just joining us in this podcast, pause it if you're able to, and take a listen to part one, where we give more context to the Khmer community and what they've been through, and then come back to this episode. So we know that healthcare systems fall short in so many ways. And one way it falls short for immigrant communities is addressing trauma. Now, addressing trauma is not straightforward. Sometimes people don't want to share their trauma. And we're going to talk about the nuances of this throughout this series. But what we know is that often for these communities right now, what we do is nothing. Well, not nothing. We shuffle them through our healthcare system, through acute visits and chronic visits, through 15-minute clinic visits, to hospitalizations. We try to address their medical conditions, and we give a nod to maybe they've experienced something traumatic in their past. But we never really address it or even acknowledge it. And addressing it, yes, we can refer them to a therapist if we're really lucky, a trauma therapist. But good luck finding one that speaks Khmer and knows how to deal with massive trauma. I know that is something we need to work towards, create those systems for individual interventions like that. But I want to think about what does it mean for entire communities to heal because they've experienced the same thing together. So as a clinician, you're just part of a system. I know that. So maybe the question for you is, how can you merely acknowledge this or add it to your differential diagnosis when you care for these patients? And if you're a leader with more power, more resources, think about what does healing entire communities look like? And how are physical spaces important for that, especially in this age of Zoom and virtual meetings? I'm talking about places where people can connect with their physical bodies. And how do we create an environment of healing through that? Here's Jennifer Huang, a Khmer interpreter and leader of the Khmer Health Board, who's going to talk to us about what she has experienced and doing this work for 30 years, where she feels like the community is in their healing process. Jennifer, let's start with your story. Tell me about yourself. How did you end up in Washington? I came to the United States in 1983, mid-July, the first state I resided in Salem, Oregon. So I was in Salem, Oregon with my mom and my brother. I graduated 
really sick of and then I moved to Seattle, go to college, get a full-time job. I see your name everywhere when I try to look up <laughs> the Khmer community. So you started the Khmer Health Board with James, right? And I yeah. think you have a lot of roles in the community. So tell me what roles you've had and what um, do you do now? I started my first full-time job in 1993 with refugee women bilingual advocate for domestic violence. I was there almost four years, helping from, I think, early 90, I think 91 92, to 94 when I moved to Harborview. So I was there helping, learning about domestic violence, helping clients with English as a second language, help ESL teacher, and then help creating a parenting education for refugee and immigrant. And I came to a one community meeting and I heard about the job at Harborview that looking for bilingual Cambodian. So I thought this job may be fitted more. So I came, they say it's a grant. And it's a two-year program, but now I'm with them till 28 years already. So I learned all the stuff from very beginning. No medical background, no nothing. I was like, stand and see, and I got no stressing out because I was in feel intimidating because people were like, the medical school, medical doctor, and all those kind of profession. Yeah, and yeah. it's a house call program. You go to people's houses, is that right? Community house call at the time, so you provide continuity, interpretation, and do case managing when they have complications, family issues, school problem, parenting. In 1994, I spent my time mostly with a lot of younger children because the start of gang and deportation and dropping out of school, running away. So I spent my time at juvenile and school with parent teacher conference probation counselor on behalf of the parent. So those are the things that I knew. And then the program keep evolving and changing. It changed to older adults with chronic disease, such as diabetes, hypertension, stroke, kidney disease, dialysis, and cancer, on and on. And now the population getting older and getting people with NOLI, palliative care, hospice, chronic disease for the past 15 years. I mean, so I've been learning all this and I keep being telling my bosses, like my salary is still the same. The past three years with COVID, it's been exhausted on me. And you know, I have a lot of people in my program dying. I don't have capacity for emotional strain. It just like hit me and I feel like my population is already isolated and language barrier. But then when COVID came, it's a second isolation and then it took us back to 40 years ago during the Khmer Rouge, you know, it hit me. Now I'm older, I'm not 30 years younger like I used to. So it hit me harder. I just about to want to retire too, but the that I don't get my medical insurance. Medical coverage is hard. And now that my children are grown up and independent, but then I have two elderly parents. My husband have one, I have one. Some of my patients don't have anybody and it just devastating. Yeah. It's a segue to the history of Cambodia. We talked about this with James. Yeah. Uh-huh. About the Khmer Rouge, right? Yeah. And we talked about how more than, some people say about 3 million Cambodians. Almost. Were, were Almost. executed. Almost. Yes. Yeah. And, and you, it's like 500 doctors in the whole entire country before then. Like maybe 10 or 15 lives after the war. 
my father was one of them. Raised by my aunt and uncle, my biological parent also killed during the Khmer Rouge. She gave me to her sister. That's why I was raised with them. You mentioned earlier about the PTSD, all the physical pain that people experience, but it's actually not physical. It's emotional. How do we approach a population that's been to so much trauma? The Khmer Rouge was horrific. You were there, right? I was there. I was about five years old, ten years old. How did you process it, if you're okay asking me? And how do we help others (laughs) process this? It's hard. It's hard to even bring it up now. Exactly. It's hard to process it. And they keep saying, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Yes, I'm doing fine. But, you know, there's so much. We want to forget it. But then every time we have crisis and the PTSD provoke it, like awakening. And I saw that and I told my doctor that with some patient that we know 20 years, 15 years, and they are like that. Every major surgery coming up, it just hitting everybody. And everybody that normal function like me, it was working, but we thought that we are okay, but we're not okay. Until we talk it to someone and someone they like, Oh my God, that's what you go through. And I say, yeah, that's what we go through. But who we can talk to? Our parents wouldn't understand it. If you talk with your children, it's like you gave a burden to them and you thought they cannot process it. So it's like a generation of mental health. Historical trauma is there, but people don't accept it, especially a man. We don't see a lot of young men came to a doctor as much as women. Even women, if you don't speak, they don't talk. And then if we told you to call to see someone to talk about it, they say no. Talk about it. Just bring up the bad memory. What is the point? Sometimes somebody needs someone to talk to, but then they don't have capacity and education that understand those kind of things. If you show up at the doctor, I know it's not an easy thing yeah. to process and we don't have the right therapist and we only have 15 minutes. Is there anything that would be helpful for your doctor to say or help you through it? Is it just acknowledging like a surgery is coming up and saying, yeah, I know this can yeah. feel scary, but, you know, it's going to be OK. And yeah, we're here with so you. it's very hard to say. But so when you offer a surgery, people will be, I don't want it. One is like the surgery is going to be hard to recover. Secondly, for my support, my children are busy taking care of their own family. Nobody has time to come take care of me, and I don't want to go to rehab. Not many patients have this kind of support. It, it, see, we have a temple. Usually, the elder woman could go to the temple because none, and they have their peer. But since COVID, temple is gathering is not allowable, and then they don't have a place to go. So everybody just stay where they are. And even they don't have transportation, they will figure out ways to call a friend or somebody or go carpool and you know, go to temple because that's all up the thing that they can do meditation, chanting. But then COVID, we don't have a community centers like other communities. Cambodian been here for 40 years. You ask Jane, we don't have a physical space like Ethiopian, Eritrean, Somali. We don't have Filipino, Chinese, Korean. We don't have those physical space. And 28 years ago, when I started a job, I came from Riva. I already known that we need a nursing home, at least for the Southeast Asia, the Cambodian, the Lao, and the Vietnamese. The hospital cannot find okay. a nursing home for a patient to go for a temporary relief. 
and the family have no capacity to take it. Why? Why we are struggling? Why we have the challenging? Why we are more difficult than others? You know, but nobody has seen that. I see that because I've been here from the beginning. Every five years, I told them, no, we need this, we need that, you know. That's so tough because I think social isolation becomes yes. especially hard during times of holidays. And Very hard. Yeah. Are there specific holidays that we should know about for um, people if they're Buddhist? We have a big few holiday. I think one is New Year around April 13, 15. And the second one is like a following called Bon Chum around October. And another one is called Jolpasa or Jenpasa is around September, like other holiday called Moon Festival. What about diet and nutrition? Anything we should know about what Cambodians eat and how we should talk to them about nutrition? Rice is a main dish. People say they cannot live without rice. During the Khmer Rouge, people was to that and then more nutrition become. But when they came to a lot of food, I say, why I have to stick my diet? And then when we do education around diabetes, we explaining that rice is a one of the most carbohydrate, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. When you eat those, you do a lot of activity and you don't have a lot of like other sugar. You pretty have rice and fish and vegetables. Cambodian, the authentic Cambodian, pure Cambodian, mainly this and a lot of vegetables. But now vegetable, our vegetables are very expensive and hard to grow here. And then people don't access them. Yeah. Okay, Jennifer. One question I'll ask you is, in your personal experience, has there been a doctor or a clinician that's made you feel seen and heard when caring for you? And what did that look like? I went to my own doctor, but nobody ever really talked about anything, except if I told her, but I lately I've been come to see her after COVID. I say I have a hard time. And they did a little bit and asked me if I want to see a therapist. <laughs> so I think I thought that would be helpful to talk to my doctor and she can understand it and give me some, rather than just take medicine and therapy. Yeah, what, what would have been helpful to you? This is important because I think this is why I wanted yeah. to do this podcast. Like uh-huh. you went there, you wanted help, and then you left because you didn't yeah. feel like you got what you wanted. If they have at least... 10 or 15 minutes to listen how I feel emotionally. Not just I have physical pain or I came for physical pain or I look stressed or tired and they want to know anything wrong, anything going on, anything you want to talk about. I did tell them I have a hard time with that. She didn't take it further and the thing I told her I have anxiety and this, but she doesn't go down and figure out why I have that or why taking a little bit, but just like rush. I just want to get to the point. If I see you for your ankle pain, and that's it. And if you want a lap or you want to see for other reasons, here's the next appointment. I think it's such a support, a bill, a billing purposes. Not a, to care about me, but I have medical insurance. And I know that I take my time, I pay my money to go because I want expert validation to check that I'm sick or I'm not sick, I'm feel better. But at least I want a human being to listen how I feel. But I don't feel like that. So for one example, in June, I left work and I walked to the train. I fell down and I hurt my ankle. And I say, oh, just fished it and got swollen. 
And I just stay home and then until it get better, I, I say, if I go to the doctor, they will tell me the same. No, put eye, hot pad, take Tylenol, and that will save me money. And that's what I did. And I get a little bit better. I came to work and my colleagues say, oh, doesn't look good. You should go check and have them x-ray. And I say, okay. And I just forget it. And then second week, I said, okay, I have insurance. Why can I do that? So I go and I told her and she sent me to x-ray. And then that x-ray, they told me I will got two bills. One is for images and one for radiologists. You see how insurance and hospital and healthcare in this country is working? It's not helpful. And I speak English and I still have challenges. And then I would say, well, I was scared to get that. Like, people don't want to go see doctor to all the bill to make it so big deal. And that's why people don't want to go. Why I had to call them behind already having children? I take care of it. That's why I don't want stress on myself. I go work so hard. I have this money to pay you to take care of this, but you didn't really take care of it. Jennifer, I think we could talk for hours, probably. Okay. There's so much to talk about. But thank you so much for taking time to do this. I think it'll be helpful for doctors to just understand a little bit more about things that are happening in the Khmer community. I know there's so many things that need to change, like physical spaces for people to gather in. The whole American healthcare system is so confusing, especially if you don't speak English and you only speak Khmer. But hopefully, at least the clinician can be more aware so they can listen a little bit more. Hopefully. And have a bit understanding about the trauma that the population has been through and still yeah. carries with them that's unprocessed, right? Yeah. The trauma unprocessed for 40 years. And I think now a lot of older first generation men and women around my ages and about, it's never been serious. And unprocessed, nobody hear about it. They do all kinds of things to minimize it, and they deny it, and they think they don't have a problem to fix it, and then it becomes difficulties. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Okay, well, thank, thank you, you again. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Healthcare for Humans podcast. And if you like this episode, share it one other person and go to healthcareforhumans.org and sign up to join our community. See you soon. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the participants past, current, or future employers unless explicitly expressed as so. Always seek advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with regards to your own personal questions about what medical conditions you may be experiencing. This Healthcare for Humans project is based on Duwemish land and makes a regular commitment to real rent Duwemish. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.